Today I welcome Chris Hutchinson, Headmaster at Royal Russell School in the UK. In this episode, I discuss how to create an inclusive strategy, the wonders of outdoor learning, the importance of kindness in everything we do, and balancing leadership while still teaching as a head. I want to kind of talk to you about Royal Russell School and what you've been doing, particularly your views around inclusion as a central kind of facet to everything that it does. So much so that you wrote a thought piece saying it's time to shift gears on inclusion. What did you mean by that? And how is your school going beyond a checklist of activities to bring about real change? If schools aren't inclusive, then they become completely self-defeating. The whole point about school is to build community and to celebrate the diversity of that community. And so we wanted to set out our commitment to inclusion with an overview process, not just a document, I suppose, that brought together staff, pupils, parents, and the wider community in our plans. We work together at school leadership team level to think about what we'd want to achieve in those spaces, to engage, to listen, to collaborate in that space were really important to us. So we wrote a document. We've shared that document. I have an inclusion group of parents that I work with, and we've been working with them since March 2020. That's a group that meets once a term to sort of discuss those areas. It did come initially from a focus on race, but it's widened its focus now uh, quite significantly. We also have pupil groups. And of course, listening to those pupil voices has been really interesting for us. So we've got a document, we share it, we update it. It was launched only a year ago. So I'm not saying by any means uh, we're the experts. And how do you make sure that all voices are listened to? Because you mentioned there are a couple of stakeholder groups. It's important to hear the voice of everyone that's connected to the school because they will have possibly different opposing views And you've got to bring and shoot everybody with one direction. We've got lots of systems set up for pupil voice. And and we have some really great structures, including things like the school council and all of the elements that run alongside that. But it's probably our diversity and inclusion pupil group that's had the biggest single impact in this area. That's a group that meets weekly through the term and views are sort of woven into that from across the pupil body as different areas, as they identify different areas. And they've really produced some really interesting pieces, I suppose, around that. One, for example, is last week we had the year seven to nine outdoor production, very lovely thing. They had produced a piece called Who We Are. In that Who We Are was a whole series of vignettes, which included racial discrimination Prejudice, which included LGBTQ plus pieces, which included bits about gender identity, which included bits about climate change and the refugee crisis even. And it was really interesting that those are all of the topics that they felt confident to talk about. So the pupil voice is hugely important. Engaging with parents and with the staff body is a little bit more tricky because adults, as adults, they tend to not want to talk about things as much. And that's a funny thing to say. Children will tell you what they think if you give them the right platform, whereas adults will sometimes be second-guessing what you want them to say. Certainly having a very open group of parents and staff working together, which is our diversity and inclusion group, has really helped. And they have 
tested some of the strategy that we put in place when we wrote the strategic inclusion document, and that's been really helpful for us. Yeah, because getting parent buy-in is, is essential because you can teach the kids how to have this inclusive outlook, service to others, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about kindness later as a facet of being part of a, a warm community. But parents themselves, you know, we are the generation with innate unconscious bias that we have to unlearn stuff that through our own environment has been very difficult. And it's quite a strange when, when you do have your child coming in and they're trying to try to lecture you on, on your biases. But that's a good thing too, right? It is a good thing. And one of the best things we did this term is we set up a, a series of focus groups for pupils led by an external team so that they really felt this was space that they could talk very openly in. The feedback from those groups has now led to the next stage. The focus was on anti-racism and difficult conversations around race. And that's fed now into, in fact, tomorrow afternoon, we'll be going into another session of staff training where some of the output from those pupil groups feeds directly into the staff training. And of course, when you're talking to staff about, well, this is what our people say, not what a group of people nationally might say, but this is what our people say, it's so much easier for them to connect with that and to respond to it. Giving the people's voice, allowing that voice to really help staff to think about, okay, that's how we approach those, what are quite challenging sometimes conversations around all of these areas. It's great that you've gone through this process where you've consulted, you've asked questions, you've looked inwardly at your own community. You've put together this strategic document, which, by the way, is, is a really great document. I love the outputs. But everything with the document needs action, an action that has longevity. How does that tie into something that isn't a short-term maybe thing that you just deal with this year? Have you embedded that as part of a longer-term strategic vision? Our long-term vision for the school is built around some core pillars and one of those pillars is our people. And we are sitting here in South London, sitting here with a significant international people population alongside that. We are an incredibly diverse school. And unless we continue to have those very open conversations about that aspect of how we identify ourselves, then I think we would be really failing our pupils. And it's ultimately is my job to make sure that our pupils have that fulfilled and successful journey. So will this continue to be central to where we move forward as school? Absolutely, it will. It's so important. I mean, we're here to educate. And education, you know, the word means to lead people forward. Educo means lead people forward. And we're here to lead our young people forward into a space where they are confident to have those conversations in their own adult life. But perhaps we, and I say we generationally because I have to put my hand up at that point, perhaps we didn't have the same opportunity to explore these things during our own education. So it will remain very important for us as a school because we're such a rich community in all senses of that word, from the just range and variety of pupils and families that we have coming together to learn here that I would want absolutely that to continue as part of our strategic intent. And is it important that you measure success? And is there an easy way to measure success within your inclusion program? Or is that just something you feel? I'm a scientist. I like to see outputs and I like to see 
progress has been made against some measured criteria. But there is a danger on focusing on measuring things a little bit too much, perhaps, in this space. It is important to evaluate and feedback. I'm not so sure it's as important to measure. I think people want to know conversations are happening in the right way. They want to see those improvements. But a survey that says this year you said this, this year you said this, I'm not quite sure how scientific really that is. And I certainly wouldn't want to hold anybody to account on the results of a survey in a year-on-year view. And also, I suppose it's, it's to avoid navel-gazing, right? We can set up criteria and then go, okay, well, we need to improve on that next year. So, you know, and if we're not doing it because of all these other external factors and whatever, it looks bad because people look at numbers. I completely agree with you. I think having some kind of way of doing review and refinement, actually, it's an ongoing collaborative thing. And the important thing there is it's ongoing. It never stops. We can never stop going, there is something new we can learn. There's things in the news every single week that are dealing with inclusion in some way. And I think it's really important that that's at the forefront. And I think what you're doing at school is, is fantastic. How can schools ingrain inclusion into their ethos in the long term? Is that a leadership decision or do you find that's being led by the pupils being pushed up? We're at that interesting tipping point, Simon. I think there is a, a real push from the pupils now that they want to be having these conversations. And I think that's really exciting. On its own, whilst that will create noise, it won't create change unless the leadership of the school is saying, yeah, we really say that, we really identify with that and make it important too. I think there's this lovely sweet spot at the moment where actually things are going to meet in the middle and the pupils are pushing these ideas up. The leadership team is ready to receive those. The two working together moving forward is really important. I'm reflecting, I've just announced my student leadership team for next year, you know, so heads of school and various positions of responsibility within that. I interviewed 26 current year 12 pupils as part of that process. And it was really interesting to hear how many of those pupils had a little bit of, and we want to see this inclusion agenda moving forward next year as part of their statements of intent, I suppose, in those leadership positions. And that's really exciting for me. I'm not saying that I selected them purely because of that, but there was a a much stronger theme coming through this year and last year than there had been, say, five years ago. So I suppose if you think about those measurable outputs, having those conversations with children, listening to what's important to them, feeding back to them is probably more meaningful than saying, okay, 57% of our kids say X or Y. And it must be quite an exciting time to be in education because it's not, you know, the teachers know everything and students, you've just got to follow my lead. This is what I'm going to teach you. Please sit back and be quiet in class. You get this bit done. It has shifted and suddenly we are stewarding independent thinkers and we're allowing them and enabling them to have their voice, which they are entitled to, because we as parents, adults, teachers, learn so much from our kids because of their connection and interest in the world's affairs. So that must be quite exciting for you. You've been in education a long time, so you must have seen this this shift in dynamic. It certainly is exciting, Simon. I think that that in itself is, um, there are moments of that that are actually quite terrifying as well, you know, so, so because as a leader, you're always supposed to know the direction in which you're going. And sometimes in this space, particularly when you are, trying to encourage and allow that pupil voice to really 
set the direction. You sometimes don't quite know where this is going to land. And I think having the confidence to take that risk that, okay, it might land in a slightly different place to where you expected, I think is really important. So yes, very exciting, sometimes a little bit scary too. But that in itself is good because we're also showing our young men and women that actually taking risks is, it sometimes does fail. We're allowed to, and which shows vulnerability in an adult, which is difficult because we're meant to know everything. We're meant to say there are no faults or problems because we're good at this now. But actually, that's a really good sign to be able to, to share with the kids. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. I want to talk about learning in a green environment and learning outdoors. Tell me what Royal Russell is doing and, and how do you promote some more active outdoor learning? Well, we're fantastically lucky with our space. We've got 110 green acres and yet you know, we still vote for the London Mayor, you know, so we're, we're on this amazing campus. There are green views from every classroom. There's lots of opportunities to explore informally those spaces and formally through our own, for example, forest school lessons that we've got set up. But I just think that, uh, I, guess, I suppose it goes back to maybe there's a bit of personal element in here. You know, I said I'd quite like to be in an apple orchard and, and looking after those sorts of things. I think being outdoors changes the way you look at things. It changes the way you interact with the people around you. It changes and it makes you think differently about how you would solve problems. It makes you think differently about what is important, I suppose. And so I love the fact that when you walk into, I think it's pretty much every classroom here. When you look out the window, you're looking at green spaces. And I think it's just that sense of connection that is almost as important as necessarily being in, in an outdoor space. It's connection with the outdoor environment that is equally important. And I think nowadays it's even more important that kids have access to being outdoors and learning outdoors because it takes them away from technology, from physical things that, you know, I, I always say to my kids, it's about time you looked up, right? Because we spend our time looking down. We're like this. We're, we're at devices, at books, at everything. When you're outdoors, you cannot help but look up. And you look up at everything and suddenly you're in an environment which, which allows a completely different way of learning. You can still be taught to learn new things, but it's an environment which the human body enjoys a lot more. So for kids today, I think it's a great thing. So, you know, what should schools be doing that don't have the luxury potential of space like yours? There's lots of schools who are keen to make partnerships and where you can share those spaces one way or another. I think that's an opportunity, but I think you can change environments with small changes, even inside. And it seems like a small thing. Certainly there are schools where they've taken a definite decision to say in every learning space, there will be live green plants, not plastic green plants, but live green plants that one way or another need a little bit of attention, a bit of focus. And in that way, help to see that connection with the fact that yeah, things are growing, needing attention and needing care in order for them to move forward. And there's, there's all sorts of little lessons in that, but just having green plants in learning spaces, perhaps in more urban environments, can make a big difference to the way people think about their own learning. Kindness is a value taught by schools everywhere, but how does this work in practice in a school with over a 1,000 students? Scale of things... It, 
can sometimes be a little bit daunting. The first thing that we do here is we break that big number down into much more manageable groups. And you know, the tutor group is the focus for much of the care that is delivered to the pupils and much of the support that's delivered for families. So the tutor group is around about 12 pupils, a tutor who usually sticks with them over a period of time, uh, two or three years, uh, not always because staff move around, but that is a, a space where that individual therefore is really known. And I think that really helps to focus on breaking down the sort of what could be quite intimidating in terms of numbers of bodies moving around a site. Small focus, continuity with that tutor so that that person really gets to know them. But also allowing those conversations to take place between individuals in a guided space can really help focus on kindness in the right sort of way. Amazingly, our school motto, we were founded 1853, and our school motto translates from the Latin into not for oneself, but for everyone which is a pretty strong message around kindness. And it's something that we can use very powerfully in our messages to young people now. Again, I come back to wonder and that sense of being kinder than is necessary. On my bookshelf over there is a card from a pupil just finished year 11 that said, I remember you teaching me, if in doubt, be kind. If we can get those messages across in small groups, really reinforce that in those small groups, then we stand a chance of breaking down that whole sort of larger space and really focusing on that. It's funny with your school motto, because I actually also translate it as service. And I think that's something that UK schools could probably do a lot more of. I know the US are very big on service, giving back, and that's actually giving back in time and effort, not in anything else. It's a part of the value of kindness, being kind as an act, but actually serving others is something else that we can do. Do you get involved in much service as well as part of the school? I would put my hand up and say I think there's greater opportunities. I think one of the things that we suffered in lockdown times and COVID times is the ability for people to get together, sometimes across different age groups and sometimes in spaces. Those things were rather lost. So it is very, very important pupils learn about service in every sense of that. One of the strongest elements of the school that really thrive through COVID times is our combined cadet force. And you don't automatically think of uniformed activity as being necessarily directly linked to service, although I know it's implicit in everything that they do. I see the impact of that on our young people. And I would say that's certainly something that comes through very strongly, as does Duke of Edinburgh Awards, Kids in the New Forest, this last weekend on a gold expedition, and we've got silver going out next week. Again, just coming back to that sense of learning through shared experience, learning in an outdoor space, learning about leading and serving, actually being part of the same thing. You're a physicist, and you still teach lessons while leading Royal Russell School. Why do you still teach, and why is it important for a head still to find time in the classroom? Other heads have a different model of this, Simon, and I'm not sure necessarily that other heads would necessarily agree that it is important that a head teaches. For me, it's important. I really like getting to know pupils here well. I think the better I know the pupils, the better I can make the decisions that says this is going to support you on your journeys to success. 
And of course, I'm making those decisions every day in leading the school. It's a, a significant and complex organization. So understanding fundamentally what the pupils' experience is in a classroom context, which after all is a significant amount of their time, I find really helpful for me. And of course, guess what? I love it. I absolutely love that little bit of time where I'm just able to spend time making difference directly with a group of young people in that sort of space. And I'd say very openly that sometimes that uh, hour or so in the week is uh, the only time in the week when I know what I'm doing. Talk about that hour. I mean, the, the other side of being a head is I'm thinking about being a pupil here going, I feel a bit pressured here because the head's coming to teach me. But the other side is that you are the leader and you have all these other responsibilities and plates that you're spinning. What comes first? Your call because there's a problem with the school. Is teaching time sacred time and you have a team that says that knows your teaching or are there instances where you go, I've got to go? The only thing that I've ever allowed to trump teaching is a governor meeting. That's my bosses calling me to account. Those dates are set. If that hits a lesson I'm due to teach, then I would arrange cover. Otherwise, that time with the pupils, I'm saying to my staff, that time with pupils is the most important thing you do. And so if I don't demonstrate, if I don't show it, I'm failing in that space personally. I've been very rarely disturbed whilst I'm in a lesson. My PA knows where I am. I can remember quite an interesting phone call coming in the middle of one of my lessons. She said to me afterwards, well, I didn't want to call you. you know, I knew you were teaching. And I thought, gosh, I've run that message home perhaps a little bit too far because that really was quite an important call and you probably should have disturbed me. But uh, on the very small number of occasions when I do have to leave a class, then I've got brilliant colleagues who would step in and help out. Yeah. I mean, that's the lovely thing about working in a team as well. And that's the other part of leadership is that you try and build a really great team around you. You can step out and not know that every last decision sits at your desk because empowerment is a really great sign of leadership because you grow people within your team to take those tough decisions whilst you're not around. It's not a bad thing every now and then. Uh, people would say, okay, well, I can wait or I can just crack on, make the right decision. And you know, Chris, I'm sure, will tell me whether I've got it right or wrong at some stage later on. <laughs> what I love about you still sticking in teaching is that the teaching profession and how you teach has dramatically changed. It really has, and it keeps changing with the advent of technology coming in. So you being on the shop floor and practicing that, you're getting first-hand experience. So you could, it'll actually make you a better leader because you're actually there seeing how your other, you know, your teachers within your faculty are dealing with this. And so when it comes to any issues or when you're trying to change curriculums or change directions, you have a first-hand experience of this. The other part of it is working in a team and working in a team when you're not leading the team because you do spend quite a lot of time in meetings in teams as a head where you are de facto the person leading that particular piece. Whereas if you're sitting around discussing what's going to be you know, assessed in the latest year nine uh, assessment week, then you're sitting there as part of a team actually with someone else making decisions in that space. The other thing that's really interesting is that although I walk into the classroom as the head, the kids very, very quickly forget who you are. And if you're not on your A game, they don't give you any more leeway than anybody else. Another really important message for me is that you do need to be absolutely on top of that and you need to be delivering for those uh, young people in the way that they would expect to be taught it keeps you sharp i'm not sure i've kept up necessarily with technology that usually defeats me 
particularly if I have to move lab at the last minute and the board system is a slightly different version to the one I'm used to, but <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But the good thing there is that you have lots of capable students and part of that is for them to step up and go, sir, it's fine. Let me show you how to do it. And you go, well, that's fantastic. And that's them helping you out. So Chris, it's been fantastic as ever to speak to you. Thanks ever so much for finding the time. Have a glorious summer with the family. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.